welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pie Factory Podcast. I am your thingy for this evening. This is Jimmy G. And I'm your whatchamacallit for this morning, and uh, this is Sean. And Sean, how the heck are you, my friend? Heck, I'm kind of tired. How the heck are you? I the heck am tired, too. Hmm. I'll probably be pretty tired Friday morning because my cousin got us tickets to go see the new Star Wars movie at midnight. Or at 11 p.m. tomorrow night, and I get up at 5 a.m. Oh, boy. So, which means 11 p.m., I gotta go to Joliet, so I'll probably be in bed about 2 33 o'clock. Hmm. Yeah, might as well stay up. I don't know. So, at so, 2 33, you're gonna be in bed. Wow. 2 33, yeah. yeah. And maybe, maybe 46, 47 seconds. I haven't decided hmm. yet. Okay. Well, I got a busy weekend ahead of me, too. Uh, we were recording this before Memorial Day weekend, by the way, those of you who are eavesdropping in our conversation. Uh, because, well, this is not how I imagine spending my Memorial Day weekend. Saturday, as you know, um, I have to sit down with um, Hyde St. Pierre's lawyer and for some strange reason, his union representative, but not Hyde himself. He's not going to be there. He's sending his goons instead. He has, we have to uh, negotiate his contract because his contract's up. Wait, when did Hyde unionize? He unionized after he got that job at uh, MeTV. Um, so, yeah. Oh. And um, thing is, like, we were grandfathered because he signed on with us before he was unionized. But now, and in the renewal, he has to go over some specific, like, union rules and things. And hmm. I'm not looking forward to this. I really wish that you didn't have to go to Joliet because I could really use some backup here. Oh, yeah. Um, sorry. Hmm. Um you know, Star Wars over contract negotiations, I guess. And then uh, Sunday, I got to get up probably around five o'clock in the in the, in the morning to do uh, bike the drive. Oh yes, tell me about yeah. that. Oh, we mentioned you mentioned it a little mentioned bit in the last bit, episode, but it's something that it's put on by the Active Transport Alliance. I think it's called. Uh, they're they're an organization that tries to uh, improve transportation for everybody for both. Uh, well, not both, but for uh, walkers, cyclists, and drivers, and public transit users, and all that, and, and they have a special emphasis on bicycling, if I'm not mistaken. I believe it's them that puts out a really excellent fold-out bicycle map of the Chicago area for like ten bucks. It is extremely detailed, goes all the way right. out. Uh, I believe all the way out to Grundy County here, Ooh, wow. and as far north as the Wisconsin border and into Indiana quite a bit. It's ten bucks, and the only two problems I have with the map is. A, it's paper. It's not like, it, you know, it, and so it, the, the material, if you, if you like put it in your back pocket or whatever and you get sweaty, I mean, it'll, it'll like, you know, it's, I mean, it's paper. So there's not a whole lot you can do about it unless you put it in a plastic bag. But the real, the bigger issue is the map is so big. How that big you, is it? Well, I'll tell you, map brain. It's so big that. Uh, when you open it up, it's 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 gigantic. It's huge. It should really be two maps of the Chicago area. It's it's almost unwieldy to use. Um, it's still worth every ten. It's still worth every dollar of the ten bucks you pay for it. I, I don't mean to insult you or anything, but that was a terrible punchline. Well, eat me. I'm a Twinkie. But anywho, they do this every Memorial Day weekend. It's called yeah. Bike the Drive, and, and I'm going to do it some year. I was going to do it this year, but. 
it falls on my anniversary weekend. Which As does anniversary every Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, that is true. So, uh, yeah, you should celebrate it by riding on on, on uh, Lakeshore Drive, the big uh, expressway that uh, goes along uh, Lake Michigan in Chicago. Well, there, there's two Lakeshore Drives. There's the Outer Drive, which is what this is, and then there's the Inner Drive, which is the local version, which is not an expressway. But mm-hmm. they close off Lakeshore Drive in the wee-wee-wee hours of Sunday morning, and they open it up for probably about four or five hours for people who want to ride their bikes on it, and you have to register ahead of time. You have to pay 50 bucks, and uh, so I scraped together 50 bucks, and I threw in an extra $10 for the all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast, Ooh. and I realize I'm putting a Atari 7800 cartridge shell together here and causing all kinds of noise. I better stop doing that. There. And, uh, yeah, and I'll, uh, I'm going to have not one, but two video cameras on me. So when one nice. dies from battery power or running out of space or whatever, I can just pop the other one on. And what else? You know, I'll be checking in from time to time live on Facebook. Cause I've, I've known other people who do that when they go out for like weird bike rides and stuff. This isn't a Gee. race. It's just a, uh, a ride. It goes from. I wonder who else do you know that checks in on Facebook from time to time when they do long bike rides? I don't know. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. know. If be. you know of anybody, please do chime in. But the idea is, hey, you get to ride on Lakeshore Drive, and I'm doing the 30 mile challenge myself, oh. which means that I'm going to try to go all the entire. I was route. say that's the whole thing. Basically, the whole thing from uh, Bryn Mawr Avenue, which is uh, 5600 North, which is really close to where I live. I live just a couple of blocks away from Bryn Mawr, and um, it goes all the way down to 57th Street, I think, which is- That's 50- down by the Museum of Science and Industry. Yeah, yeah, Museum of Science and Industry, I think, is the checkpoint for the southern end of Bike the Drive. It doesn't take the entire Lakeshore Drive, but almost the entire Lakeshore Drive. So basically- It only leaves, I think, like a mile, like a half mile at the start, or at the, the north end, and half mile at the south end, I believe. Yeah. Is what they yeah. Don't it use. ends yeah. at Hollywood, which is 5700 north, which is a block north of Bryn Mawr. Hooray. And uh, so I'm going to start at Bryn Mawr and go all the way down, and then come all the way back up, and of course take a pancake break. So, yeah. That's, don't you have to check in, like, at uh, Grant Park? You don't have to check in at Grant Park. There are different checkpoints. Oh, I, did I don't. Not know I that. don't think you have to check. If you have to check in at Grant Park, then I gotta get up earlier than I thought. They should probably check your information. But if they don't, that would make sense to have multiple check-in points, though, because yeah. for just for your situation, I mean, you don't have to. The way if you can check in up by where you live, then you don't have to. Uh, you can just hop on your bike right from your house. You don't have to drive it there. Or get on the train or something to downtown, which I imagine those trains will be busy with a lot of bicycles on them. That early in the morning, though, I don't know. I don't know because they, t- they, they might tell be, you because I think they close the route at 10 a.m. It's not open yeah. very long. Yeah, they tell you start no later than seven, and I think they I think they officially open at 5 a.m. Right, which is I'm I'm gonna try to get up eh, around five ish, and I want to especially get it done early because number one is supposed to be hot, number two is supposed to storm in the afternoon. That's awesome. There's a I was, was always wanted to do the Chicago late ride, which is takes I believe starts at like 10 p.m. and goes to the morning. Hmm. And uh, oh, then there's also going to be year. soon the naked bike ride, the world naked bike ride. Yes, which is exactly what it sounds like, and they do it late at night here, like 11:30 at night, and uh, it is clothing optional. <laughs> I remember the first time I I knew that was happening. My wife and my mother-in-law and I we were all taking a bus home from Second City. 
and it went right past the bus. It's like, oh, this is the, uh, I guess this is the world uh, naked bike ride thing. And all I could say is if anybody is ever going to participate in something like that, please, for the love of all things holy, do not use a public bike. Okay? Just don't. I will put a cover on my bicycle seat and I will wear a pouch. There you go. Yeah. Granted, it'll probably be <sighs> over my head, but uh, I hear music in the air. Over my head, I hear music. So, Sean, what have you been playing lately? What have I been playing lately? That's a wonderful question. Of course, I've been playing the games that uh, we are going to discuss tonight. And what else have I been playing? Uh, I actually still haven't really touched my 7800 at all, which is a shame because I have a brand new homebrew game that I have to talk about, and I have yet to play it or even see it in action. So mm -hmm. that's coming up in the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. It's called Lava Lamps at 8-Track Theater. I mentioned that in the previous episode. Oh, I played some Vectrex again. I got around to playing uh, Big Blue from Chris Parsons. Really, really fun game where you... Uh, you go diving and you go to the bottom of the ocean floor and you collect treasure and you bring it back up to your boat. And of course you have to, uh, dodge sharks and, uh, angry fishes and stuff. So that's, it's, it's a fun game. And I, I really enjoyed that. I've been playing uh Mindstorm a lot for reasons I'm not going to get into right now, uh, aside from the fact that it's just a fun game, fun asteroids clone to play. And I got a twin galaxies record on solar quest on mm -hmm. the Vectrex. So I've been doing that lately. How about you, uh, Jimmy G? Oh, and I well, oh, also, also, sorry to interrupt. I also started getting into playing Canyon Bomber on the 2600. Oh, because what do you think of it? There seems to be like this semi heated competition of Canyon Bomber at the Underground Retrocade. Yeah. And I think Mozzie's Hagopian right now has the, high, the house high at like 9,000 something on that. So I'm, I'm just now learning how to play it. I love Canyon Bomber. It's such a stupidly simple game. It's a stupid concept, but I just love it. I have no idea why. And as I, as we talked about in our Two Tigers yes. episode, Two Tigers and Canyon Bomber have a very similar feel. They really do, yeah. And I, I just love it. I, I, I love Canyon Bomber. I mean, it's not everybody's favorite game, but I just love it. I especially love the... Uh, the well, I can't say there's really one variation I love more than the other, though. I mean, I like, I like the one where the rocks stay in place, or the others where they, uh, you know, they fall all the way to the bottom with gravity, like it would happen in real life. Yeah. So I, I like Canyon Bomber. I've been having game. fun with it. The cool thing is, you don't even. All you need to do is press a fire button. And here's yeah. another thing. And people pointed out that Canyon Bomber requires the paddle controller when you don't even use the actual knob itself. You just use I the know. Fire. You don't even yeah. need the... If you have your joystick connected, you can use your joystick. Unless they originally meant for Canyon Bomber to be a four-player game. Could be, could be. But I don't think there's a four-player variation there is, on it. There isn't, no. Now, it would be neat if you could actually speed the airplane up oh, yeah. or down with the paddle. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you get you get different planes at different speeds. Yeah, that's true. Um, but the the uh, the Atari determines what speed the plane that's, is. That's very true. But the and, thing is, uh, you don't even need a paddle to do that. You can keep the no. joystick plugged in because the left oh. and right of the joystick correspond to the paddle controller's fire buttons. Uh huh. That is true. It does do that, yeah. doesn't it? Interesting. One thing that does help is uh, with that game is you can cancel your shots uh if you you're dropping the bomb and you hit the button again it'll stop that shot and you can get another one however if you shoot and it's like off the screen it will deduct one from your uh miss counter oh not a hit counter but miss counter if you will but um 
So, yeah, and uh, kind of backtracking a little bit, um, yeah, I have confirmed uh, the Bike the Drive fact. Where does the ride start? Can it start anywhere? It says, for your safety, all participants must start at one of the below locations. And it lists Columbus Drive and Jackson Drive, which is basically Grant Park, Bryn Mawr Rest Stop, which is right where I live, Okay. Museum of Science and Industry Rest Stop, Fullerton Checkpoint, which is uh, just uh, uh, about a mile east of DePaul University, and Oakwood Checkpoint, and I have no idea where that is. So there we have it. Uh, so there you go. You're, you've, you just saved yourself some money for train or parking or both. Well, at least my train fare would be pre-tax. So one oh, of, one of the go. benefits where I work. Well, you might be wondering what I've been playing. I am wondering. Please yeah. do tell me well, and our friends. Well, I finished Half-Life 2. Um, like I said, I hated the fact so that So you finished Whole Life. Well, yeah. Uh, whole life, and that's actually, <laughs> well, I was going to make a milk joke, but I couldn't think of one. I, I kept saying about how the uh, how the game has a, um, ends on a cliffhanger that they never have resolved, and don't know if ever is going to get resolved. Uh, I have heard some rumblings that uh, the company that made half the Half-Life uh, game series uh, might actually be ramping up p- production on a new installment, but we've heard that before, so I don't know. But uh, I did forget about how easy the final boss was to destroy. The one thing I absolutely loved, and I don't know if I've gone into this about the game Half-Life 2, is when they were developing it, they were going on and on about you know the physics in this game and how awesome the physics were and stuff like that. And oh, do we need to heard- introduce uh, video game physics for this? Uh, well, it is a computer game. Well, no, it was on a, well, if it it's, on a console. If you see it, yeah. it's still video. True, true. All right, video game physics. Okay, hold on. It's time for another edition of Video Game Physics. There we go. So, um, but uh, they were going on and on about the physics in the game and, you know, how awesome they were. We've heard games get hyped up before and they turned out to be like letdowns and that sort of thing. And um, when they were talking about the awesome physics in the game, they weren't lying because the gravity gun has two different um, ways you can use it. One is you can pick an item, you can pick heavy items up and move them or whatever. And then the other one, you can use it as a blaster to blast whatever you happen to be holding. And in the section of the game I was talking about before called uh, We Don't Go to Ravenholm, there are a bunch of different objects all well, I mean, throughout the game, there are a bunch of objects you can, you know, pick up and throw and whatever. You can even pick up enemies and throw them off the edge of a cliff, too, which is awesome. But um, you can uh, there's you can pick up, like, saw blades and then shoot them across the screen and uh, just, like, kill all of your, your... slice all of your enemies in half. And it's really, really awesome. And um, at the end of the game, they take all of the rest of your weapons away, so you have to finish the game with your gravity gun. And uh, they uh, they give it an upgrade, too, where you can use it really pretty much as a laser weapon as well. The gravity gun in Half-Life 2 is one of my favorite video game weapons of all time. But just because of the stuff that you can do with it is really, really an awesome, uh, an awesome weapon to have. And uh, I especially like the fact that uh, it doesn't use ammunition or have like a power meter or anything like that. It, you can just use it infinitely as long as you've got something to pick up and throw. And... Um, yeah, the, the the physics in Half-Life 2 were amazing for when it came out and still amazing today. I think the game is 10 years old now. Was it 10 years or was it 15 years uh, that we waited for uh, Duke Nukem Forever? It was something like yeah. that. But uh, And uh, I heard that uh, Duke Nukem Forever was 
not that great of a game. Um, I've heard it's not terrible, but it's not really great either, so I don't know. But So yeah, I finished up Half-Life 2 and haven't really played a whole heck of a lot more other than the games that we're going to be talking about tonight. Did play a little on my Atari 8-bit last night, and I uh, don't remember what I played on it. There was one game on there, I can't remember the name of it, it was kind of like uh, uh, the game Venture, uh, you know, the arcade game, Atari 2600 game, what have you. But, um, yeah, I don't remember the name of it. It was it was pretty dreadful. Um, but it, I've noticed with one thing I've seen with a lot of games on the computers versus, say, the 2600, is some in some cases the 2600 has much more fluid movement than the 8-bit computer does, and I've wondered why that is. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just, the, you know, the fact that the uh, the 8-bit, since it's a computer, is open to more people being able to program it. I don't know, but just a lot of games just seem to be a lot choppier on the 8-bit computer than the equivalents on the 2600. I don't know. Yeah. But um, it's a possibility, I guess. But but then you get games like Blaster on the 8-bit, which just are amazing with what they've been, they were able to accomplish. I still too, need so. to try that. Yeah. And, um, I need to try any version of Blaster, actually. So that's what I've been playing. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, oh, and um, I'm back on Facebook, everybody. I just needed to take a break for a while, and I'm I'm gonna try to not be on it as often as I used to, uh, just you know, for my mental health. And in fact, I found something to help me out with that. Is I did not put it on my home screen on my phone. Just left it in the drawer so I don't have it always handy at the mm. touch of a button. I have to work for it a little bit if you will if and you're three or too four lazy press. to use facebook in other words yeah pretty much so so there's that and uh there was one other thing i was gonna say um but yeah that's about you're gonna it say that, happy birthday sean happy birthday sean even though it's not until november october october who's this in november is that bob's bob's is october his is the same day as my brother's birthday <gasps> oh you know what i think matt horn's birthday was in november i think so that might be what I'm thinking of, and he's been dead for is it 15 years now. 15 going on 16. Wow. Well, that's morbid. Right. Yeah. Personal corner. So. Alrighty. Um, do we have any news, addenda, errata, that uh, sort of thing? We do have uh, a we do have addenda at least. So, uh, <clears throat> I'd go ahead and drop in the uh, love theme. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> You know, I need to get the Atari 2600 synth cart and uh, do a love theme from Addenda and Errata on it. Yeah, just a a couple of Addenda, actually. Uh, There's one thing I wanted to mention in our previous episode that I totes forgot to mention, and uh, that would be uh, regarding Super Pac-Man. It's not specifically about the game in and of itself, but more of an anecdote. But it's something that stuck in my mind all these years. When Super Pac-Man was still a pretty new game, the local Fox affiliate here, I don't think they were a Fox affiliate yet. I think you know, they were still Metro Media, uh, Channel 32, WFLD. They were running a contest in which if they would have an animated Pac-Man on the screen and you would count the number of dots that Pac-Man ate, they would draw randomly from all the correct entrants and the grand prize in that was an arcade Super Pac-Man. You know, I think I vaguely remember that contest. I wonder if that's on FuzzyMemories.tv or YouTube or something. If it is, I'll have to, I'll have to uh, link it in the show notes. 
Fuzzy Memories is one of my favorite websites, and their YouTube t- channel is as well one of my favorite websites. Yeah, if if you spent any time in the Chicago area, any significant time in the Chicago area, fuzzymemories.tv is a good way to like, you go on that site and um, you look at a couple of videos and then suddenly you realize you just killed nine hours. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Seriously, oh man. <laughs> And uh, what was the other thing I wanted to mention? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, You, Jimmy G, said that uh, you thought that perhaps Gauntlet and APB are the same hardware. And Mm -hmm. um, off the air, off the recording, I commented and said, you know what? You might be right because they both have the exact same credit insert sound. Well, it turns out they're not really the same hardware. They they run on different systems. They have the same sound hardware, which is you know, the Pokey chip and all that. And by the way, we've mentioned the Pokey chip several times in different concept concepts. No contexts. The Pokey chip does more than just sound. It just so happens that uh, the home systems that use it, like the fifty two hundred, seventy eight hundred, uh, the games that actually do have it, and the eight bit computers from Atari, I think they only use the sound capabilities from it. But no, they uh-huh. are. Gauntlet and uh, APB are two different systems, if you will. So uh, that, that's uh, what I had to say about that. Oh, uh, we did get uh, a little bit of a uh, note from S1500, mm-hmm. who says, Just last weekend, I was able to play a real APB at an arcade party. A podcaster's house uh, wasn't our house, by the way. Uh, Neither one of us owns any arcade games, but uh, anyway, that uh, S fifteen hundred goes on to say that game is as difficult as I remembered it. Wish I knew about level select back then. <laughs> I got up to the day four where you have to ticket the litter bug taxi cabs. I got so many cabs, but then they just stopped showing up on the road. As per the episode explains, I saw way more cabs going the opposite direction. Tried to turn around and drive downwards facing bottom of the cab, meaning cabinet, but I still couldn't get enough taxis in time slash fuel to pass the day. Aw. It is a bleeping hard game. There's the it whole is. micromanagement aspect of not slamming into cars with the siren off, the need to turn off the siren to catch them in the act, and all sorts of bonus opportunities whizzing by, like the broke down car and woman who needs help. It takes a bit help, with help. the pull-over icon in front of you to line it up against the criminal car. Oh, yeah. That is true, yeah. I mean, it is a very fun, solid game, but yeah, yeah there's there's the micromanaging of that game. Uh, when you've got to uh, to work against a, a timer and a fuel meter, that's adding a little extra stress, I guess, into the, into the gameplay, but um, it's still a great game, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to play it again. I I haven't played the arcade version in so long. Not counting me. I, I mean, the real arcade cabinet, I, I haven't played that in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Same here. Uh, so, uh, that's all I have to contribute other than my tired yawning. Well, there you go. Yeah. And um, seems like I had something to add about a game, but I can't what remember what the hell it was. Huh. I don't remember what it was. Oh, All right. Well, oh, I oh, guess I saw Tom Skilling this weekend again. Oh, you did? Yeah, he was at, he was shopping at Whole Foods. Hmm. Half Life at Whole Foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so there. Fact, uh, when we left the checkout, when we checked out, he was right in front of us. Like after we left the counter, and he drives a weird car. But oh, must be a special weather car. I don't know. <laughs> weather car. 
That sounds like a Quinn Martin production. I don't know. I don't know. Hey, I got I got nothing further other than like this episode's featured games. I suppose. And now our featured games. Oh, yeah, do, oh wait, we got. Do we get a? I think we got a tweet about something. Did we? We got a um a message here from uh, S Steiner, Steve Steiner. Oh, Steve Steiner. Yes. Um. I recognize that name. Webmaster at Feb4IT.com. Just wanted to let you guys know I supported you on Patreon. Have never done that before for anyone on Patreon. Oh, thank you. Because I felt so bad for Jimmy G saying he always messes things up on the podcast I just listened to referencing Rampart. Jimmy G, stop berating yourself. You're a great and worthy person. Now take my money and you guys keep making podcasts. You are fun to listen to for nerds like me. Love, S. Steiner. Oh. Uh, Steve Steiner. Thank you, Steve. Um, I'm gonna have to listen to the Rampart episode again because I don't remember. I don't remember anything about that. But I try not to try not to berate myself. I don't remember scratching my butt five minutes ago. In fact, I can't even be sure that I did scratch my butt five minutes ago. Well, isn't that interesting? Yes, there is a little science in the show. Sleepy Gary's game stream. I if, is that the same Gary that we know? Anyway, uh, he says APB fond memories of playing this on a ferry of all places. Huh. Probably ferry. not the Staten Island ferry. I can't imagine that that would be exciting enough. Uh, never tell you my ferry story. We were on vacation in the late seventies. We were in North Carolina, going from the Outer Banks to the mainland, and instead of going north back up the coast, we decided to take the ferry. And so we got our van on the ferry. We are going across, to, uh, what do they call it, Pamlico, Pamlico Sound. And we went to go buy some candy out of the uh, candy machine on the ferry boat. And all the candy bars were melted because <sighs> the, uh, you know, it was like 90 degrees. And apparently nobody changed the candy out of the candy machine. Oh, so lovely. That's my story. <sighs> I yep. love that story. <sighs> yeah, I do too. So, so it's very video game related too. <sighs> That, that I'm, I I got I got no more to say. I'm, 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 I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. But so I think maybe we should move on to some games. Ooh, games. I, yeah. That's well, we're a game podcast, so we should well, there talk you go. about game. And you know what? Let's do this. Oh. Um, since um, tonight, everybody knows our games are two movie based games, and yeah. uh, kind of a sequel, sort of continuation, whatever. To one of them is going to be opening in the next day or two since from when we record this. So let's do the one that doesn't have a sequel coming anytime soon, although there's as far as we know. another sequel in the Hawks, as far as I'm aware. So let's talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Well, before, huzzah! Well, uh, huzzah, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Well, the fun fact is, 10 years and one day ago from the day that we're recording this episode is when Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out. No and kidding. And I've yet to see that. And I, I saw enough of it. And something I just want to say before we get started is these aren't really necessarily sequels. The Star Wars films, the Indiana Jones films are not necessarily sequels because George Lucas, what he had in mind when he did those movies was the old style serials that he used to see as a kid when he'd go to the right. movies on Saturday morning. He's trying to basically recreate those. So it's not that one is a sequel. It's more like just another episode in the series. Hence True. the Star Wars movies being referred to by episode numbers. From what I understand, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom actually is a prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, I never saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Really? Yeah, I was supposed to. I was with my, my parents and I went to a drive-in theater when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. It was out in a drive-in in Kankakee. 
and it was a double feature. The first film was Hanky Panky with, I think, was it Gene Wilder who was in that? Uh, Gene Wilder and I believe Goldie Hawn. Yeah. No, 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 no. Or somebody. I think it was Gilda Ratner because I think they were married at the time. By the time Raiders of the Lost Ark started, I fell asleep and my parents didn't wake me up. Well, now that when sucks. I woke up, we were already halfway home, and I was so pissed. I never saw any of the Indiana like, why Jones. Why didn't you make sure I stayed away? Why didn't you wake me up? Now, I never saw any of the Indiana Jones movies in the theater, um, but I do know that when I finally saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then, no, I saw Temple of Doom in the theater, now that I think me about too. it. Me too. Yeah, and I, I saw the Hillcrest Theater in Joliet. So that and uh, Last Crusade in the theaters. Loved them both. And watching those three movies... And then everybody knows I'm a huge fan of James Bond movies. And as an aside, why has there never been a James Bond arcade game? I'm just throwing that out oh there. Oh, my. There were crappy home games, but there was never an arcade game. But anyway, I was watching those three Indiana Jones movies, and I'm thinking, these movies have the same kind of structure as James Bond films. They huh. are basically James Bond adventures. If you think about it, especially Raiders and, um, and Last Crusade. I wouldn't know. I've I've seen some James Bond movies, but I could I could never follow them. I was not good at following them. My parents actually wanted me to watch James Bond movies, and I, I they just went way over my head. I'll, I just try, love I'll give them Bond a try movies. again. Gold start with Goldfinger. I, I it's have the seen best. Goldfinger in recent years. I have. Okay, that's considered the best Bond film. Yeah, and it's my favorite. But and anyway, I, let's let's talk about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Ah, uh, Indiana the game. Jones and the Temple of Doom. Temple of t- t- that one. Uh, Doom. Ah, uh, the second uh, uh, in- Indiana Jones uh, movie. Uh, and the only Indiana the Jones movie to be a game in the arcade, which was a uh, Atari Games arcade game released in August 1985, based on the 1984 movie of the same name. Duh! It actually says that in my notes, by the way. <laughs> right, you, the player, you are Indiana Jones in this game, and you are going through the underground layer of the, th- is it pronounced Thuggy? I think it's called the Thuggy yeah, Cult. Thuggy Cult, yeah. and by the way, from uh, that cult name, that's where the word thug comes from. Ah. Vocabulary, uh, etymology lesson from Pie Factory Podcast. And the cult is led by the high priest Molaram, who is guarding three Sankara stones stolen by the Thuggies. There are actually five Sankara stones, but Molaram only has three of them, and he's searching for the other two, and to help find those other two, the Thuggies enslaved several children to help mine them. You as Indiana Jones must first free those kids who are being held hostage, and then you have to escape the lair in a minecart, and then go into the Temple of Doom to retrieve the Sankara stones. I think you're wrong on your information there. When I saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in the theater. It's not, I'm not wrong. Wikipedia, my research is wrong. My research is wrong. Because the movie, I think, was about four stones, three of which had been stolen from this village. And then I believe in the game, you have to recover three stones. Right. Yeah, because there are only three in the game because the other two haven't been found yet. And the village was using these stones to protect them or to uh, bring rain or something, or to stave off a drought or something. It was like their religious belief yeah. or something. Yeah, mind something you, like I'm that. talking about the game now, the movie, and I haven't this seen is true. it. I haven't this seen true. the movie in a long time, so this the movie true. itself is kind of rusty to me. This and no, I'm true. not talking about National Lampoon's Vacation. Whoa, I wasn't even going to think about that one, but there you go. Ah, and uh, that's all it says here in my notes. It says, describe the scenes. So here's what I'm, I have to describe the game off the top of my head for those of you who have never played it. 
and I hear my dog playing with her squeak toy in the background. Good grief. Uh, she always picks the most convenient times to do that. But uh, anyway, the, there are three main scenes in the game. And the first scene, you are in the underground layer of the thuggy cult. And there are ladders. There, there are ladders. Are they supposed to be ladders or staircases? I think there's a little bit of each. They're mostly ladders. There are a few small staircases, but yeah. mostly ladders. And in later levels, there are conveyor belts. Yes, that's bridges. right. Yeah, and uh, basically you have to make your way around that mine, that underground layer, and go around. You'll see cages, really, with a kid locked up in each of those cages, and you have to whip open the cage and free those kids. I know who took the strawberries. I'll get to that after I whip it. And there's a, I believe there's a counter on the screen that tells you how many you have left. Yes, it does tell you, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And while you were doing that, there are thuggies going after you, and uh, you have to... I, oh, God, I love those vocal sound effects. I really oh, do. Me too. I love it myself. <laughs> and you have to stave them off with your whip. And um, the thing, thing about this, and I kind of like this, because it adds a little bit of uh, believabilism to the game. When you whip one of the thuggies, they don't disappear. They just get incapacitated for a few seconds. And if you really want to be a point presser, you could just whip a thuggy, wait for him to kind of shake it off, and then as soon as he's back into commission, whip him again for whip more a points. Thuggy sounds dirty. Yeah, it it really does. But basically, that's what you're doing. And periodically, Mola Ram will suddenly appear and throw, I believe, a fireball at you. And you no, it's a flaming heart, a flame- as in the movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Again, Remember, Indiana seen- Jones and the Temple of Doom was the very first movie to receive a PG-13 that's rating right. yeah. because of the ripping the heart out of the chest scene. And uh, just like how Manos set Torgo's hand on fire, Mola Ram, when he pulled the heart out, the heart became on fire. So he's throwing a flaming heart at you. Aw, that sounds romantic, doesn't it? The flaming hearts. It's like he's send. He's like trying to send some signals to you. It was like be my. And Valentine. whipping the thuggy will be the, their first album. Huh. Indeed. Indeed. So hey, you you have to basically stave off the flaming heart with the whip again. If I might interject one thing about the thuggies, um, the thuggy guards. If you're on uh, when you're on a path and uh, there's one there and you whip it, he, you know, he gets incapacitated. But if you keep whipping him. He moves down just a little bit each time yes, you whip him, yes. and then you can force him off of the path. I love that. Yeah. And, and the thing is, though, just like the uh, you as Indiana Jones and the thuggies can both fall a, a certain distance without losing a life. So, like, if you fall down like one or two levels, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you fall down really, really high cliffs or so, somewhere where there's not a clear path near the very very bottom of the uh the, the maze yeah. i guess let's call it yeah you'll lose yeah. a life and also it's a good way to permanently get rid of a thuggy too if you uh mm-hmm. whip him so that it, he falls down into one of those uh uh danger zones as it crevasses were. yeah Creva- ooh ooh okay see we educate here on pie factory podcast as well we as educate and elucidate as well as uh inform so mm-hmm. well wait inform and educate that's the same thing crevasses in my cravat uh, I, I'm so confused. Uh, so, Hey, that's what happens. And, uh, when you have freed all the kids, then your next thing you have to do is you have to, um, make your way up to the top of the layer and escape through the, uh, through a mine cart, which takes you to the second phase of the game, which is basically the recreation of the mine cart scene from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the movie. 
which is a fun scene. And I found personally that the first time you go through that round that for, through the mine cart, it's mm-hmm. very, very brainless. All you got to do is just keep on moving, mm-hmm. pull down the joystick and accelerate and you'll get there in no time. And just, it, it helps if you repeatedly hit one of the two ambidextrous fire buttons on the control panel, which is actually a whip button. Mm-hmm. So that way you can knock out any enemies that are nearby and also prevent other carts from crashing into you. And then after that, you find yourself in the Temple of Doom, and there is a river of, um, would you call it lava or magma? Lava, fire, yeah. who knows? Could be hellfire. So Yeah, yeah. And what will happen is a, periodically a bridge will be exposed that you can walk over right up to Molaram, and you can get behind him and grab the Sankara stone that he's in possession of. And then once you grab the Sankara stone, you have to get out of the Temple of Doom. And the, there's a passage in the back. And then once you do all that, the levels start over and they advance and they're slightly more difficult. You'll have a different number of children to rescue. You'll have more obstacles in your way, such as, uh, as Jimmy G mentioned, the conveyor belts, etc., etc. So that is the actual basic gameplay right there, really. And uh, again, the control panel is just a joystick and two fire buttons, one on the left, there one on the right. There are actually two additional levels. Oh, um, do tell. If after you've rescued the th- or captured the third Sankara stone, you go through the, uh, the, the mine, whatever, dungeon, where you rescue the children again, and then you go through the uh, minecart scene again, and then it says Indiana Jones escape on the rope bridge. The fourth screen is the rope bridge sequence where you've got thuggy guards coming at you from both directions and Mola Ram throwing fire, uh, flaming hearts at you. And what you got to do is cross the rope bridge. You cannot fall into the abyss while whipping the thuggy guards and the hearts. And when you get the Sankara stone at the end of the bridge, this is one of my few disappointments with this game is this is not voice, but it prints on in text on the screen, Molaram, I'll see, uh, prepare to meet Kali in hell. Then Indiana yep. Jones takes out the, takes out a sword and cuts the rope bridge, and Molaram falls to his death. You, then you climb the remainder of the bridge up to um, Willie, is the name of the girl, and Short Round, which is the name of Indiana Jones' um, child accomplice in the film. Yeah, who and himself after- in the film actually did get get uh, rounded up with the other kids to uh, help mine the uh, yes he did Sankaras. and then um, there's a fourth screen a f- or, I'm sorry a fifth level which is basically just the mine screen however uh, there is a golden statue and you have to find the golden statue and whip it to get twenty thousand points and this screen keeps repeating until you lose all of your lives. So uh, if you're good at this game and you can make it there and uh, you can keep alive, uh, you could rack up some really, really big points. Oh, by the way, do you know why I didn't talk about those levels? Because you didn't get to them yet? Because I didn't get to them yet because I'm ah! not that good at the game. I've never seen those levels. Actually, I have without cheating. I suck at this game. <laughs> um, there is, sorry about that. There is something kind of... <laughs> kind of um, interesting about this game that I've never seen in any other arcade game. Oh. I'm not saying it doesn't exist because God knows I'm probably dead wrong about that, but I've just personally never seen it myself. Like with a lot of other Atari arcade games that were out in the like late early eighties to the mid eighties, there's a level select screen at the very mm-hmm. beginning of the game. 
I forgot about that, yeah. And the thing is, the level select screen in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is actually playable. There are some objects on the on the level select screen that you can whip for points, like skeletons that are hanging, and there are skeletons all over the uh, the thuggy layer too that you can uh, whip down for extra points, and piles of skulls and stuff that can also be whipped for points. So you can actually play the level select screen. And in fact, if you knock down all of the skeletons in the level select screen, you get a five thousand point bonus before the main game even starts. That's awesome. Now, you actually can lose your life on the level select yes, screen, Yes, you, you can lose all your lives on the level select screen. Yeah, because there's which the, is uh, unusual for a game. Very, yeah, because you can actually step into the uh, the fire. Yeah. Which is kind of... And you know what? And I think it's kind of neat, interesting, uh, how they do that level select screen, because the easy door is just easy to get into. Just walk up to yeah, it, boom, go in. I never thought about and that. And then you have yeah, to watch on right. your path. You have to watch yourself on the path a little bit to get to the medium screen but nothing too difficult. And to get to the expert door, uh, one thing you forgot to mention, uh, well, maybe you haven't mentioned it yet, is when you're in the screen where you have to save the children, you'll see poles every so often that you can whip to swing across. You have to swing across one of those to get into the expert level door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just thought that was that was interesting how, you know, to get to each difficulty, it's a little more difficult to get to it. Meta! I know. Isn't that something else? Ain't that something. And, uh, hey, about the actual gameplay, that's pretty much all there is to it, really, what we just talked about here. Uh, I did find that the credit there's there's an interesting credits listing in the game, kind of almost like a movie credits, because it has a director, Peter Lipson, produced by Mike Halley, location supervision, Rob <laughs> Rove, voice coach, Earl Vickers. I guess he was in charge of... Uh, accents and stuff uh music and audio effects by hell hal cannon and dennis harper costumes and special effects i like that costumes uh susan mcbride no this isn't santa claus conquers this is costumes not costumes susan mcbride alan murphy william noble set designer dave ralston and that's really really i just thought that was that was a nice little touch there and those are all actual atari developers and designers by the way you know, one thing I just recently, and I say recently, and I've been playing this game ever since it came out in the arcade, uh, but what's something I just recently found out about this is uh, there is a secret bonus in the game at the very end. Oh, yeah. Uh, Do tell. At the end of the rope bridge. Uh, after you've killed Mullah Rob and you climb up, if you hit, as soon as you get to the top of the cliff, you know, after the automatic animation of Indiana Jones climbing up the rope bridge, you hit the whip button and you whip Willie. The whip goes around her and brings her in to give Indiana Jones a kiss, just like in the film. Ah. And I, oh, what does Short Round say? I don't remember what the heck he says in it. He has he's like something like "Come on, you two or something like that. <laughs> it's pretty funny. That's actually. a nice you get touch. 30, 30,000 bonus points for that. And in the uh, screen where you have to rescue the children. You can go to the minecart screen without rescuing all rescuing yeah. all the children. Yeah, and it gives you a guilt trip for that too. Yeah, Mola Ram, there are children left behind. Mola Ram will be pleased, <laughs> and you get uh, bonus points for uh, rescuing all the children. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't remember what it is. There, the thing the thing with the games we're talking about tonight and the later the, the later uh, games in the arcade just have so many points and bonuses. Yeah. It's really hard to hard to mention all of them, and you know that's. Well, I guess that's the case. Yeah, and I, I wasn't even going to talk about all that because of that, because it's just so... Yeah. Ca- but something I did observe, though, is that when you are rescuing the children, 
your point value for each child you rescue increases with each additional one, and then it resets when you lose a life. I did not notice that. Yeah. That is interesting. At least on the ROM that I was playing, and at least at the, arc- the uh, arcade version that is at the Underground Retrocade. Do we have high scores for the game? Uh, I suppose there are some. Uh, let me see. High sc- Okay, and here's this is interesting because the two main scoreboards that I reference in this podcast all track six different variations. The easy, medium, and hard paths with three or seven with lives. Three and seven lives, because you are given a chance to pick either three lives or seven lives. And if you want seven lives, you have to put a second credit in. And uh, interesting tie into the last episode because, uh, no, not the last episode, the Wizard of War episode, because Wizard of War allowed you to do th- like, what was it, three or seven? Yeah, that's true. Something like that. It was it was something where you could get more for an additional token. Yeah, like uh, Twin Galaxies, for example, the Easy Path. Three Lives Cliff Reese has their record at 800,000 points, verified June 19th, 2011 via DVD. Easy Path Seven Lives, Justin Emery has the um, record at 255,060. That's interesting that the Seven Lives variation has a significantly lower high score than uh, the Three Lives. And that was verified April 14th, 2017 via the Twin Galaxies uh, SAP method. I forgot what that stands for, but it's the one where users decide whether or not it's valid. Uh, Medium Path, Cliff Rees again with 945,070. Three lives, by the way. Verified June 18th, 2010 via DVD. Medium Path, seven lives. Robbie Lakeman, 74,000. Wow, that's not even one-tenth of... The three lives record. That's there's, I don't know how that works. I don't know if the seven lives version is that much harder or, or just longer or what. But that was verified via DVD on June 23rd, 2012. And going to the hard path, three lives, Cliff Rees again with a million four hundred and ten thousand nine hundred and thirty, verified June 19th, 2011 via DVD. And the exact same day, ver- it was verified that is via DVD. Darren Harris has the seven lives record with a million two ninety three thousand five hundred and thirty. And I guess we can account for like the harder difficulty levels having higher scores because you get you get more bonus points that way by starting at a higher level than easy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is true. But still, mm-hmm. the seven lives, they're all significantly oh, yeah. lower except for the hard path. That's very interesting. Worth looking into. But then again, if you go over to Orcade.com, the easy path, three lives, Fred Oaks has the high score, and that scoreboard at 310, no, 317,730, and that was performed December 10th, 2017 at the Underground Retrocade. And easy path, seven lives, Sean Quigley has that record at 215,830, and that was done August 26, 2016 at Galloping Ghost. There isn't a huge difference between those two scores. And let's see, going up to the medium path, Sean Quigley has the high score for both three and seven lives. 167,110 performed August 7, 2016 at the Ghost, and that's three lives. And also performed August 2016 at the Ghost, but August 26th this time, 291,260 with seven lives. Everybody can recite that now, right? Uh, Well, not yet, because we still got to talk about the hard path. Three lives, Orcade.com record, Brian Schillow with 524,960 performed December 16th, 2015 at Galloping Ghost. 
and Hard Path 7 Lives, Darren Harris, who also has the Twin Galaxies 7 Lives Hard Path record, 1,205,160 performed March 14th, 2009 at Richie Knuckles. Did we mention before Richie Knuckles, I think he has a new location or he's, he found a new location that he's going to be. Wasn't it in California? No, no. It's, um, it's in Jersey. Is it? Yeah. I remember before I was uh, before I took my hiatus from Facebook. Uh, remember hearing something about it, but I didn't really hear the whole the whole deal with it. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's in North Jersey somewhere. Huh. Interesting. Oh, but we'll yeah. have to get more information on that and report back in a future episode. Mm-hmm. And there are home versions of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, the video game. By the way, there was the Commodore 64 version, which I had. That was one of the games that was in the arcade. I think it was called Arcade Mega Hits or something. Mm-hmm. It was a Mindscape collection. It had that, Gauntlet, Paperboy, Roadrunner, and Blockbuster, which was a uh, breakout clone. And supposedly there were two different versions of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There was one by US Gold and one by Mindscape, which was which came later. I could have sworn that, because uh, I, I looked this, I didn't actually play this recently, but I looked it up on YouTube just to get some samples. And all the YouTube videos are the US Gold version, and they look a lot worse than I remember that. Hmm. And I could not find one that had the Mindscape name on it. And I seem to remember the Mindscape game being a lot better. I remember seeing the Mindscape version for sale at Toys R Us when I worked there. Ah. So, the US, I think US Gold stuff was mostly uh, European. And then Even other rights called US were, Gold? It's called US Gold, and I, it was mostly a European company. Huh. Um, but uh, since there was so little stuff... Well, you know, keep reading down the port list, ports list here, because I'm going to add something here in just a moment. Yeah, there's, uh, there was a version for Amiga, Atari ST. Okay, MS- I had the Atari ST version. It was in an arcade package. Uh, it was... Okay, it had Roadrunner, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gauntlets, and a fourth game that I am... Not recalling right now, but I'm pretty sure it was not an Atari title. Hmm, interesting. I want to think it was Metrocross. Eh? Eh? Was it Metrocross? Eh? Or was that in a different package that I bought? That might have been in a different package I bought that had uh, Rampage. Let me Google that for you. Yeah, why don't you do that? Uh, Let's see, there's also a version for MSX, uh, one for the NES and Famicom. And what's interesting, I looked at the... uh, NES Famicom version, and it looked a lot different from the arcade version. Well, maybe not yes. a lot different, but it did look significantly different. So I don't know if it's supposed to be the same game or if it's just a separate game. Well, but, I think what Tingen did, because uh, they did something similar with uh, with with Gauntlet, is um, they like added some sort of different plot elements or whatever. And the uh, minecart sequence in the NES version is not in three quarters perspective. It's in three quarters perspective in the arcade game. Which, that's interesting how the perspective changes in the game. Uh, the first screen is just basically your standard platformer. Then it goes to a third person or a three-quarters perspective for the minecart scene. And then it goes back to kind of a standard, standardish. Well, no, actually, the uh, the temple screen is in a different perspective, really? too. That's huh. in a three-dimensional perspective, but like kind of uh, third person Rah. in a way. Speaking of the minecart scene, one thing I didn't mention that I should mention is... Uh, the minecart scene, like I said before, it's really, really super easy the first time through, but when you go through it at later levels, you have to do certain things, like you have to actually maneuver the cart because the track will disappear and you have to uh, kind of lean the cart to where the track doesn't uh, break. 
Uh, you'll have to steer the cart away from dead ends and things like that. You don't have to do that so much on the first go around, but in the later There's ones, a certain oh, yes. thuggy guard you have to whip, otherwise they'll knock you off the track. Yep. Yep. And um, the, oh, and I, one thing I love is uh, at the very end of the track, there's a well, all they're in several places too, but there are gas tanks that you can whip. Yes, and that's I all, love they're those. also in the first screen, and they'll cover the track, and then you can knock over other carts. And the thing I love about that screen is uh, if there's like two carts behind you, and you whip that gas tank, it'll knock over the first one, but the second one will go through. They do not stop when Indiana Jones jumps out of the carts; they hmm. still keep going although at a much slower pace, but they can run into Indiana Jones's cart, and then it'll say, that was a close call, Indy, on the screen. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Oh, the there are, those gas tanks are also on the uh, underground layer portion of the game as well, and you can yes. set those on fire. I love those. Those get, are you awesome. You get points for when thuggies run into it. It's really cool. Uh, there's also a Apple II version of Indiana Jones and Temple Doom. Uh, that one, oh man, I looked at that online. It sucks. Really? It really does. Well, uh, the minecart doesn't surprise me. The minecart screen, it doesn't scroll. Really? Yeah. Like you'll you'll go down the screen and then it'll cut to the next segment, and you go down the screen again, cuts to the next segment, you go down the screen yeah. again. Yeah, it's I know what like you're saying. Camera yeah. cuts. It's not. That it doesn't sucks. Pin. It's like, ugh. See, there's a Sinclair ZX, <clears throat> the Sinclair ZX Spectrum, and uh, the Amstrad CPC also have that. Sadly, the uh, Acorn Archimedes does not have it, as far as I could tell. What about the Toby Tudor? Nope. Ah, shoot. Yeah. Well. So those are the home versions that I was able to ascertain, as it were. So, Sean, where was the first place you played the game? First place I played, honestly, Underground Retrocade. You know when? When? About two weeks ago. Was really? the first time I ever played. Yeah. Seriously, I never knew that the Indiana Jones game that I played in my Commodore 64 was an arcade game, because I didn't see it anywhere. I played it first, of course, at the uh, the uh, Aladdin's Castle at the Louis Joliet Mall, and it was one of my go-to games. And, um huh. Yeah, and I think I'm going to... Let's get into a little discussion here about the game. When it comes to movie-based games, uh, licensed property games, whatever, games that Atari made that were based on movies, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, another game... Uh, Mr. Mom. Firefox. Uh, they actually did an arcade Batman, which I never knew existed until I saw it at uh, uh, Galloping Ghost when I, uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and this one is unlike games by other companies, the Atari titles seemed to... Oh, and, and Roadrunner. Um, and Roadrunner. All, to me, seemed to be dead accurate as to the source material. That is true, yeah. Beavis and um, Butthead. Beavis and Butthead. Um, it, <laughs> that game took some liberties, but uh, for the most part, I would say it captured the theme and atmosphere nicely. But... Let's look at uh, The Simpsons by Konami. Yeah, let's not. It was not true to the licensed no. property at all. It was I mean, just the a characters' animations were good. It was a generic beat em up, but Burns and Mr. Smithers and the whole plot and whatever, and the generic, you know, enemies or whatever, you know, ruined it. Terminator 2 Judgment Day, a game that I really like a lot, had a lot of stuff in the game that was not in the movie, especially uh, in the in like the steel mill screen. They added a bunch of steel workers firing at you, which was not in the movie. Uh, there were other liberties taken with it as well. 
Aliens by Konami took a lot of liberties too by oh, that's introducing the topic alien of, uh, of Tenpence Arcade. Tenpence, yes, they took a lot of liberties with with the property as well. I would say the only other company that came close to treating uh, movie properties with uh, with accuracy would be uh, would be Sega, because Moonwalker was really close to the uh, the licensed. Well, Godly's Crawl, I guess, was uh, was accurate to the uh, to the licensed property as well, but not uh, really because Crawl's a fun game. No, that's true. I've never uh, seen the movie, so I shouldn't. I talk. haven't either. But um, and thinking about it, Sega's Jurassic Park game took and Alien game, Alien Three games took a lot of liberties too. So actually, I'll I'll stand with my original assessment that Atari tried to keep everything as close to the movie as possible, and that's going to actually be revisited when we talk about the next game. And I think Atari's um, attention to detail kind of hurts the next game we're going to talk about. Ah, uh, yes. But yeah, I mean, because it's got all of the sequences, and even in the minecart screen, if you're playing on one of the more difficult levels, there's a scene where Indiana Jones is in the cart, and you have to jump a gap. You have to be going fast enough to make it over the gap, just like in the movie. And they pretty much nailed the feel of the movie with this game. The sound effects, uh, the voices that were lifted from the movie... Uh, other than other Atari movie games, are crystal clear, uh, which really impressed me. Um, you could really tell that that was it, uh, Harrison Ford talking in those clips. We it wasn't, there wasn't any guessing like in Star Wars. And, and, it used, and it still used the pokey chips, too, in the audio, which was amazing, I thought. And I loved the music in this game. The music, I thought, was really good. It captured the movie spirit. It was the, the, the movie music. The, the game really felt like the movie. It felt like you were taking part yeah. in the plot of the movie. The visuals were really well done in this game. I will say that in this room with the Sankara Stone, where you have to grab it and exit the uh, the temple, after the previous two screens, kind of a bit of a letdown, but it follows the movie, but I don't think it hurts the movie, unlike the way that The Empire Strikes Back, the last sequence where you're avoiding the asteroids, while that was in line with the movie, was let down was a huge letdown to the rest of the game, which I thought was pretty good, and really drug that dang game down. Didn't happen here. And um, if you can't tell, I'm gushing over this game. I really like this game a lot. I liked it a lot it, more than I thought I would. Yeah, it's um, a really, really well-done uh, well game. It's a repetitive game, but the thing is, enough adjustments are made with each iteration that you don't mind the repetitiveness. Yeah, um... It keeps it does enough to keep itself uh, fresh, even though it's the same same thing over and over. And I think the ad addition of the uh, of the rope bridge screen being something you have to earn to get to is something that keeps most players pushing forward if they know that scene is there. I don't know anybody who. Uh, well, no, actually, I think it is in the attract mode. Now that I think about it, I think the only th part of this game that would really kind of bore me is if I've made it past the the rope bridge screen and got to that bonus round and where it's you're, you're just basically whipping these statues which i believe are worth twenty thousand points each until you die that i could see getting boring but that's it that's the end of the game you can just keep playing until you run out of lives but um oh there's one more enemy actually uh at the actually in the higher difficulty levels and the higher mine not the uh, not the mine, but in the uh, the dungeon levels where you're rescuing the kids, uh, the actual uh, child prince himself will come out with a uh, with a voodoo doll, 
and yeah. poke it. And if yeah. he's on the screen when he does that, and Indy, if you're on the screen with him when he does that, I believe it stuns Indiana Jones for a few minutes or for, for a few seconds. So, um, uh, again, I'm a, not good enough to have seen that. Yeah. So. And, and again, that's paying attention to to detail of the details of the movie. They didn't have to add a whole bunch of crap to this game to make it a game. And I think that's what the thing I like most about it. They didn't have to add extraneous stuff to make it a playable game. They nailed the movie plot in this game perfectly, I think. So, I guess, you know what? I'm going to just go ahead and rate the game now. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to rate it a five. Wow. Ooh. This is one of my all-time, probably one of my ten favorite arcade games of all time. And uh, just absolutely love this game. From what little I've actually played of it. I've only played it since we decided, well, since we officially made this episode. Was this episode 76, I think? Oh, yeah, I didn't mention that. This is episode 76. Yeah, so it, we only, I've only, been, I've only played the arcade version since we decided to make this episode 76. And in the short time that I've played it, well, I think I've also, my experience with the Commodore 64 version of it kind of helps a little bit. I really, really like it. I, I absolutely do. And I normally don't go for this kind of stuff, but I do like it a lot. I'm going to go four on this. Four. Four continues. If you go back to our prior episodes and listen to all of them, number one, um, <laughs> good luck. Number two, uh, you'll know that I'm not a fan of the continue option because like mm -hmm. translation, we want your money. But I got to be honest, when I was playing Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom, I was wishing there was a continue option so I wouldn't have to start all the way over from the beginning to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've plunked many a token into this machine in my day. What day was that? Tuesday. Tuesday. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Late September back in 63. Oh. Wait a minute. No, that wouldn't be right. No, because you weren't born yet. No, that's true. So that, there you go. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Ah, yes. Awesome, awesome, awesome game. As I said, one of my all-time favorites. So, I think of that, we should get to the game that... It, the, the sad thing is, is I really wanted to be the one to talk about Temple of Doom. <laughs> I just love this game so well, much. Well, the reason that I chose Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is quite simply because I knew that I was going to Underground Retrocade. I was like, you know what? I am going to play Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom because I know it's over there. I don't know if Return of the Jedi is, but I know they have Indiana Jones. So, mm -hmm. you know what? I'll I'll just pick that. Plus, I'm a That's little bit more familiar point. with the Indiana Jones movie than I am Return true. of the Jedi, even though I've seen both. True, true. Yeah, let's you know, let's talk about Return of the Jedi. Huzzah! Huzzah! Return of the Jedi. Yes. Uh, Return of the Jedi is uh, from Atari in 1984, which is a year after the movie, again. And uh, this is a, an, it's an upright raster game, and uh, I guess there is a sit-down environmental cabinet for this game. I've never seen it, and apparently it's pretty rare. And unlike the previous two games in the entry, well, first of all, and I believe we mentioned this in the Empire Strikes Back episode, that Return of the Jedi was actually the second Star Wars game that Atari made, and Empire Strikes Back was the third and uh, so I thought that was a pretty uh, a pretty interesting little factoid there. Wait, and say that again. Atari put out the, the game Star Wars. Yes. And the second game in the Star Wars series was Return of the Jedi, even though Return of the Jedi was the third film. And Empire Strikes Back, even though it was the second film, 
is the third Star Wars game that Atari made. Wait, are you sure it was that order? Because Return I'm pretty of the Jedi, sure. Because uh, Empire Strikes Back and Star Wars were both vector graphics. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure of that. Uh, I believe that was uh, I believe we talked about that in the Empire Strikes Back episode. Hmm. Have to go back and listen. I'm pretty sure. I believe Empire was uh, 85. Then why would they go back to vector graphics that late, though? Well, because they were they it was Empire was mostly a conversion kit for Star Wars, and they wanted to keep the Star Wars cabinets uh, coming in with money, perhaps. Well, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ar- ArcadeHistory.com does does agree with that. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So as far as that goes. And um, the game is a three-quarters perspective. Um, 75 cents? Wow. Yeah. Um, three-quarters perspective, sort of Zaxxon-ish, although it's uh, the perspective's a lot kind of higher, I guess, little... Uh, I'd say it's probably closer to Crystal's ca- Crystal Castle's perspective than yeah, Zaxxon. It's definitely more playable, I'll tell you that much. Well, but uh, the game basically mimics uh, scenes from the movie even though my note says mimicking scenes from the game. Huh, figure that out. But anyway, there's, um, there's, there's several different scenes in this game. In the first scene, you're Princess Leia, and you have to get to the Ewok village on your speeder bike while shooting enemy bikes or bumping them into trees or luring them into traps, such as little ropes that the Ewoks will pull up. Or, or... Wait, wait a sec. So, I, I apologize for interrupting, but... Uh, I haven't seen Return of the Jedi in a long time. Did they actually call them bikes in the movie? I don't know if they did or not. I know that's what they were called. The toy was called the speeder bike. Even though it doesn't have two wheels. Mm-hmm. Huh. But, um... All right, I'm going to lose sleep over that, trying a to figure that there's, out. There's probably a technical name for it because of the big walking things in Empire Strikes Back are called walkers, even though they're called AT-ATs is their technical name. All-terrain armored transport. So maybe that's just kind of um, what's the word? Plus, maybe it's for? named after the designer, like Gerald Bike or something, or Steve Speeder. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so you're on your speeder bike, shooting enemy bikes, bumping them into trees, luring them into traps. There's one where you can actually uh, pilot your uh, bike through a log, and the other, the Empire's uh, speeder bike guys will crash into that. And yeah, you got to get to the Ewok village where R2D2 and C3PO are waiting for you. One thing I do, did forget to mention is, like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom and Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Firefox, um, you can uh, select uh, which level you want to start out as, an easy, medium, or an, an expert difficulty. And uh, the second scene where you're Chewbacca in the ATST walker, which is the two-legged walker, starts in the second round or the first round in the, the medium mode or the medium difficulty, but uh, yeah, your Chewbacca, you have to get to the shield generator in your ATST, which I don't know what ATST stands for. I'd have to look that up, but I didn't because I only had a limited amount of time to look this stuff up today. But uh, so yeah, again, avoiding traps and shooting enemy at ATST walkers or luring them into traps, into traps. I did. I don't think I mentioned the first sequence. Like I said, the game is in three quarters perspective. The first sequence, the, the screen scrolls to the upper right. Okay, the second sequence scrolls to the upper left. Now, in the third sequence, you're Lando Calrissian piloting the Millennium Falcon into the unfinished Death Star. Well, again, while avoiding obstacles or shooting or bumping enemy Tie Fighters into the walls. When you do this one in the easy level, it scrolls to the upper right. Uh, later on in the game, it, it will start scrolling to the upper left, 
and then go start scrolling to the upper right as it goes into the uh, the space station or into the Death Star. And one thing about this game, and this is kind of the complaint I was alluding to in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where in this game, it tries to follow the movie too closely. In the original movie, action would shift from the surface of the planet of Endor where they tried to de- destroy the shield, the, the shield generator and then it would go back to space while they're trying to bide time for them to get the shield down so that the Millennium Falcon and them were, were trying to take on the Star Destroyers. And in later levels, uh, starting in the, the, the second round or at the medium difficulty, it will flip back and forth between a space sequence and the walker sequence on Endor and... Not something I really liked in this game. It does give you a little bit of a warning that it's shifting to this other sequence. Not a fan of that. But, uh, anyway, continuing. Um, the fourth sequence is after you... Well, first, after you've destroyed the uh, uh, the core of the Death Star. First of all, you can miss the core of the Death Star. And if you do, uh, you don't get bonus points for destroying the Death Star. And uh, it doesn't go to this fourth scene, actually. But in the fourth screen, again, as Lando Calrissian by, or as portrayed by Billy D. Williams in the movie. Very nicely done, I might mm-hmm. say. And um, you're piloting the Millennium Falcon out of the Death Star, taking the same route before it explodes. You can see that there's like some fire coming at the top right of the screen and inching ever closer to the Millennium Falcon. And you have to get out before uh, it engulfs the Millennium Falcon. If you crash... You die, and you don't get the bonus points for defeating the Death Star. And it's the same path, so any obstacles that were there on the way in, you will encounter them on the way out. So you got to try to remember where things are. And this scrolls to the lower left. So the only direction in this game that doesn't scroll is to the lower right, which hmm. to me gets a little confusing. Uh, apparently, the further you get into the game, it will randomize the orders in which these scenes appear. I have not seen this. One interesting thing is when you are, when it does cut from the ATST sequence to the space sequence, when you're going up against the Star Destroyers, the Millennium Falcon has a couple of little X-Wing uh, escorts with it, and uh, you can fire from them as well, but uh, they can also get taken out by enemy weapons. So that's interesting. Um, as far as the controller goes, it has the same flight yoke that Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Firefox had with two trigger, two thumb buttons. The sound in this game... Yeah, the music is okay, uh, but it has voice clips from Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, James Earl Jones, Harrison Ford, although I've only heard one clip from him and he didn't say a whole lot, and Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, and of, of course. course Chewbacca growls in it. One thing I did appreciate about this game versus the other two Star Wars games in the series is that the sequences, the exception of... Uh, Let's, let's, let's be honest, Se- sequence three, where you're going into the Death Star and four, where you're going out, is basically the same scene, just a different way. But each one focuses on a different character, and I kind of like that it followed different stories, the different, you know, the different story of the characters in the game. Uh, and, well, I'm sorry, like it did in the movie. And I actually kind of like that Luke Skywalker was not the focus of this game in the arcade, uh, to give some of the other characters a chance yeah, that to... Is true. to to have some game time, I guess, if you will, even though the movie was about Luke, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. So that was, I thought, an interesting uh, thing to do. But um, So, again, this is one of those games where there's so many different enemies and different point values that it's kind of pointless to talk about it. But um, there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you do get an extra life every 30,000 points, arcade machine default. 
And uh, if the player completes eight levels, the player will receive a 100,000 point bonus, and the message, you have completed your Jedi training, will appear on in the game, and you will receive a star next to your initials in the high score table. Oh, that's, that's very kind. That was very nice of them. You get a gold star. So, uh, there were no home ports of this game, no sequels to Aww. this game. I mean, Sega did come out with uh, Star Wars games later, but they were really not sequels. They were just re- re- reboots of, uh, of the games, I guess. Um, as far as uh, ports go, as I said, no consoles, uh, but it was on some computers, uh, the Atari ST, which is the uh, which is where I uh, saw the game at, uh, at home. The Amstrad CPC, the Commodore Amiga, Commodore 64, and the Sinclair ZZX Spectrum. Uh, no, um, you were correct the first time. This is America, oh, bub. That's true. And um, Z is spelled Z, not Z-E-D. Just like X is spelled X, not E-C-K-S. So, so and there you go. Um there was one little interesting bit of trivia I found out about this game. Atari actually released t-shirts for this game for the arcade operators to wear to help promote the game. So I'm going to look on eBay for some of those. Ooh. That would be a neat little piece of uh, of uh, history to have. Oh, man, I you're going to have a Ferg effect on those things. They're going to be, like, yeah. impossible. Yeah, no, no kidding. But uh, Thankfully, it looks like the adventure thing that we were complaining about didn't last very long. And we, we got chastised for that, but hey. Oh, whatever. well. Whatever. So, Sean, uh, so, do you have uh, scores for this game? Oh, I suppose I do. Um, yeah, I totally forgot. The keeper we were... of the scores, Sean oh, Corfee. Of course. Uh, let me see. Uh, let's see. Orcade.com tracks. They have two different uh, variations they track. Uh, there's one in which you start with three lives. You get no extra lives, and it's set to easy difficulty. And Hector Rodriguez has that record at 1,356,740. Oh, that's, uh, that's on Twin Galaxies, actually. My fault. And it was verified September 4th, 2016 via the TGSAP method. And he also has the tournament record at which you start with three lives. You get an extra life every 40,000. You can start at any level you want. No continues, medium difficulty. And his score on that, 2,193,000. And that was verified September 26, 2011 via DVD. And if we go over to Orcade.com, just to change things up a bit, they track it if you start with five lives, medium difficulty, with extra life every 40,000. This is interesting. Same guy, Hector Rodriguez. He starts with more lives, yet he uh, gets only about uh, a little bit more than half the score, 1,338,080. And that was performed on March 25th, 2013 at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. Mr. Rodriguez? Yeah. Well. Well. And there we are. So, Sean, I have to so, ask you, where was the first time you've played this game? I have never played the actual arcade game, ever, uh-huh. ever. Uh, I, the thing is, like, I don't really seek out the Star Wars games. I really don't. To me, it's a movie, and that's all I want it to be. I've only played it in MAME, and let me tell you something, that is not the way to play it. It isn't. No. It isn't. You, no. There, you need analog controls in this thing, or else it's just not going to be playable. And I think the thing that really threw me off in emulation with this game is the perspective in regards to the controller. Because in games like uh, in Zaxxon, even though it was three-quarters perspective, you knew that if you pushed left, you were going to go... Because of the way it was, if you pushed left, it was instinctual that you would push left. But this is at a much sharper angle, the three-quarters perspective in this one. So when I wanted to move left or right, I kept wanting to push to the upper left on my controller 
or the lower right on my controller or you know however the direction I was going and it just my my ship would not move unless I got went to the uh, to the cardinal direction uh, on the controller and I guess you could probably change that uh, but it, it really does need the rotating the the yoke for this game more so than even Star Wars or Empire Strikes Back because that can be that can be simulated okay with a with with just a regular analog controller or even with the mouse but this one you really kind of need the uh, need the the rotating of the yoke yeah uh, the first place I actually did play this uh, an arcade machine and uh, I don't remember where I played it but I do know it was in Seattle Washington. We were on vacation in 1986. We were going up to, me and my dad and my brother took the train, stopped at Glacier National Park on the way, which is, I believe, where I saw my first Marble Madness arcade game was actually at the hotel in Glacier Park. And, um, which that's a game we got to talk about, too, which is not on our list, well, which surprisingly. Game? I'll have to add which, that to the which list. Which game? Marble Madness. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, we will have to add that to the list. And then, um, you know, we went to Seattle... And uh, we had a hotel near SeaTac Airport, and uh, I think it was at a pizza place. I saw this game, and um, and played it, and I was like, "So what?" I guess we'll just go into my thoughts about the game. Ah, do so. everything that was right about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom was wrong with this one. Temple of Doom, great music, great graphics, great sound effects. Return of the Jedi, the graphics were not good. The sound and the and the voice was just not good. The control was not not great. Uh, I guess it was the best they could do, but that I guess they kind of wanted to keep the same control scheme from the other two games. They could have done a lot better job with this game. And I, I I'm just not a fan of this one. And the way that each sequence scrolls differently throws me off. And while I know what they were going for with the uh, with the with the cutting away during the Chewbacca scene to the Lando scene and back, uh, while I know what they were going for, I don't think it worked in context of this game. I I had my notes for this game that I was going to rate it a three, uh, but the more I think about it, as I I can't rate it a three, I I can't rate it any higher than a two. Really, this is not a really good game in my opinion. It's really easy to run into obstacles, especially in the speeder bike sequence. And, yeah, I just, I, I really don't have much good to say about this game. It's a, a huge, huge letdown. And I know people, there's a lot of people when they're talking about the Star Wars film, the original Star Wars films, that the third one is the weakest of the bunch. And I will agree it is the weakest of the bunch, but it was still a pretty dang good movie. I cannot say the same for this. This is... Huh. A very, very weak, very poor game, and yeah, I can't rate it more than a two. Huh. Okay, I feel a little better, actually, because I thought I was going to be harsh with my rating. The game, the Return of the Jedi, just calls out to be liked. It really does. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to play it on, a, on an actual arcade machine. I didn't get a chance to do that. And I'm thinking, man, this looks nice. It probably is much better if I could have the actual control panel and get the controls down the way they should be. But at the same time, I was also kind of disappointed because Star Wars, really cool vector graphics game. Empire mm -hmm. Strikes Back, really cool vector graphics game. And it actually does lose something by being a raster yes. game. 
It really does. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. There's just something about it. I was like, oh, I was really looking forward to it being vector graphics, but it wasn't. But And one thing with this game, uh, even though I, I praised the game for this, it's also kind of a kind of a negative in a sense with this game too is how I had mentioned earlier that uh, I thought it was nice that they took the focus us off of Luke so that other characters could have, you know, be featured in a game. It still should have had some sort of sequence in the Death Star final battle with, uh, with the, with the emperor and with Darth Vader, because the movie is basically about Luke. And I did like that the focus was taken off Luke, but that's kind of like the big sequence in the movie. And it could have used that, in my opinion. And by the way, my rating is three continues. Three continues. Okay. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. That was a good idea. Yeah. So what's so what's uh, what game are we going to talk about now? Well, um, well, why don't we reveal the theme for today? Oh crap! Oh, we we're f- done already. All right. All right. The yeah. Theme. Uh, you want? I should uh, redeem the theme. Redeem. Redeem the, the theme. theme. Redeem. Well, the you theme. know what? Actually, you probably could redeem the theme. Well, that's good. Should I re- should I reveal the theme? Why don't you do that? Redeem the veal. All right. So today's veal for, um, what the heck's the, uh, pie factory podcast. Yes, that's right. Episode 76 is, uh, uh, arcade games based on movies that star Harrison Ford. And why are we choosing to do talk about that? Because the Han Solo movie is coming out. Very, Which very is soon. interesting because Harrison Ford actually isn't in He's the Han in Solo it. movie. Irony. <laughs> And of course, George Lucas was involved in both of those movies. And, you know, That's true, and they're, they're both Atari games, yeah, they're based Atari on movies. And, you, can, yeah, you, and, can, you can go crazy with it here, but uh, no, we're yeah. sticking with the Harrison Ford thing. Yeah, and Harrison it, Ford may have gone to the high school that is near my home. Oh, really? He didn't graduate. I, you know there, what? I but, think I heard that uh, he didn't graduate from there, but he may have attended there. It's amazing how many uh, famous people come from the Chicago area. You know, Harrison Ford, Walt Disney, yeah, Dan Quayle, Robin Williams, Robin Williams, not Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle's wife. Oh, Marilyn no. was okay. No, no, yeah, no, I wasn't no. Sure. no, it wasn't her. What Ooh. am I thinking of? I don't know. Oh, I was thinking of Hillary Clinton. She was from the area. Yeah, yeah. My uncles went to went to high school with her. Actually, who else? And then, of course, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, John Belushi, yeah. and yeah. Uh, oh, oh, uh, Clayton Moore. Oh yeah, the Lone Ranger. More. He mm-hmm. actually went. He de- he definitely went to Senna High School, which is right by my apartment. You had mentioned that, yeah. yes. So yes, games, anyway, Atari games featuring Harrison Ford, and that's and just the end of the Chicago Star Wars so Han Solo movies coming out. We have first talked about talking about Temple of Doom several months ago. I'm like, let's hold off on that until May, just to time it with this. So. And you know what? Uh, I have to interject here on something. Uh, going back, what, three episodes to episode number 73? Uh, 75, 74, 73. Yeah, where we talked about iRobot and Turbo. That was our April Fool's episode, and nobody contacted us if they, uh, uh, stating that they found the joke. Oh, yes. Uh, and I did talk to a couple of people at Midwest Gaming Classic and gave them a hint as to what to look for. And nobody got the joke. I'm surprised. Let's just put it this way. Uh, listen to that episode, or go back to the show notes. We have links to the 2600 ROMs to download. Yeah. Turbo, uh, you have to play it for several minutes uh, or whatever, get a certain score, and it will say April Fools. iRobot, you download the ROM, play it in your emulator, it'll say April Fools right away. 
that's the joke. That was a little too subtle for an April Fool's joke, I guess. Yeah, it was. And the show um, notes are available at piefactorypodcast.com, of course. Exactly. So, yeah, that was a little too subtle. I don't know if I should have even revealed that, just let it simmer. But I was just getting frustrated that nobody emailed about it. Yeah. There you go. And with that, I think we got people to thank. Oh, indeed we do. Uh, let me see. Whom do we have to thank? It's the same people every week, and yet I, you'd think I'd remember it by now. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go reverse alphabetical order this time just to speed things up. Well, not speed things up, just to th- switch things up. Uh, thank you to Richard Valdez. Thank you to Underground Retrocade. And the latest entry to our thank you list, Steve Steiner, whom we've yes, mentioned thank earlier. thank you, and welcome, Steve, to the amazing collective of pie factoids. There you go. Thank you, PJ Steele and Keith Sheehan and D. Alex and Jonas Rulo and Greg Polander and Nate, uh, Nate, no, Nate Lockhart. Please Nate keep Lockhart. the Nate to yourself. Art Guglielmo, Tim Foley, Kyle Etter, Michael D'Angelo, Rory Charles, Charles Scott, Rory. The guy who shares my birthday. Rory Coleman and the Atari Bytes podcast. Thank you all so much for supporting us over Patreon. Dot com P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, more details uh, during the closing credits. And, of course, we owe a big thank you to our friend Steve Tui at Tuiville.com. I think T-O-U-H-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. Yes, thank you, Steve, for everything you've done for us. So, uh, oh, uh, what do we have coming up in the future? For that is where you and I are going to spend um, the future. Yes. Well, we're gonna t- t- we're gonna do one of our uh, new burnout episodes, and um, we're gonna shift away a little bit uh, oh, for for an episode like we did with the radio episode, kind of a special thing just to talk about our radio careers. And um, I suggested this to Sean earlier, and uh, summer's coming up, and I got a bit. Uh, Sean's going on a big bike ride this coming weekend, and I got one coming near the end of June. Uh, bike MS. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor me, by the way. It's uh, the website is maine.nationalmssociety.com slash um, go to slash Jimmy G. Wait, is it dot com or dot org? It's in the show notes from the previous episode. It's in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes. And um, so uh, I figured, you know what? Why don't, you know, Sean and I do a lot of bicycling. So let's talk about uh, bicycles and our bicycling stuff the next episode. Just kind of take a little bit of a break. And don't you worry. We're going to be coming back with a new episode after that uh, with more arcade games. We oh. just want to take, we just want to do a little bit different here. A little bit different. So, ah. so what are the, uh, what are the, uh, what were the games that you had mentioned? Oh, again? yes, yes. Uh, that would be Ant Eater and Eyes. Ant Eater and Eyes. And that would be episode 78. Yes. Next episode will be episode 77. That's right. We and just learned tech- how to count, everybody. We're showing and off next our, week our we'll new skills. We'll work on shapes. That's right. Ooh, I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So let me just color in today's episode red, stating that it is done, and make sure it's the correct shade of red, and it is not. So let me just do this again, and now it should be. And our spreadsheet is closed for the evening. So, once again, from wherever the hell it is I am, this is Jimmy G. And from the usual place, uh, this little third bedroom. And, this uh, little bedroom this of mine. Is, I'm um, going to make it shine. Sean, I do believe so, yes. And we will talk to you all again in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, listen to podcasts. Yes. <coughs> and me sneeze. <laughs> <laughs>
<clears throat> Sneeze along with Jim. Permanent guest host. Permanent guest host. Yes, Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers is an oxymoron in and of itself, though, isn't it? Yeah, because Rivers she is does a permanent con- guest. contradict the Joan part. Yeah. So, alrighty, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde Saint Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. <laughs>